This is an audio presentation of God First Church, Cheltenham, England. A community of Jesus followers, worshipping God first, proclaiming God first, and together living God first lives. For more information, visit our website at godfirst.org.uk. I'm just going to talk a little bit about Joseph uh, this morning. Um, we're in, uh, in a series on Joseph and we're in Genesis chapter uh, 41. Let me read the chapter. When uh, two full years had passed, Pharaoh had a dream. In the morning, his mind was troubled. So he sent for all the musicians and the wise men of Egypt. Pharaoh told them his dreams, but no one could interpret them for him. Then the chief cupbearer said to Pharaoh, Today I'm reminded of my shortcomings. Pharaoh was once angry with his servants and imprisoned me and the chief baker in the house of the captain of the guard. Each of us had a dream the same night and each dream had a meaning of its own. Now young Hebrew was there, a servant of the captain of the guard. He told us our dreams and interpreted them for us. Pharaoh sent for Joseph and he was quickly brought from the dungeon. When he had shaved and changed his clothes, he came before Pharaoh. Pharaoh said to Joseph, I had a dream, and no one can interpret it. But I've heard it said that you, uh, when you hear a dream, can interpret it. It's not me, Joseph replied to Pharaoh, but God Almighty will give Pharaoh the answer he desires. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, in my dream I was standing, there's a song here somewhere, in my dream I was standing on the banks of the Nile when out of the river came up seven fat cows, uh, uh, cows fat and sleek, and they grazed among the reeds. After them, seven other cows came up, scrawny and very ugly and lean. I'd never seen such ugly cows in all the land of Egypt. The lean and ugly cows ate up the seven fat cows that came first. But even then, after they'd ate them, no one could tell what they'd, that they'd done so. They looked so ugly as before. Then I woke up. In my dream, I saw seven ears of corn, full and good, growing on a single stalk. After them, seven other ears sprouted, withered and thin and scorched by the east wind. The ears of corn swallowed up the seven good ears. I told this to the magicians, but none of them could explain it to me. Then Joseph said to Pharaoh, the dreams of Pharaoh are one and the same. God Almighty has revealed to Pharaoh what he's about to do. The seven good cows are seven years and the seven good ears of corn are seven years. It is one and the same dream. The seven lean, ugly cows that came up afterwards are seven years, and so are the seven worthless ears of corn, scorched by the east wind, are seven years of famine. It is just as I said to Pharaoh, God Almighty has shown Pharaoh what he's about to do. Seven years of great abundance are coming throughout the land of Egypt, but seven years of famine will follow. The abundance in the land will not be remembered because the famine that follows it will be so severe. The reason the dream was given to Pharaoh in two forms is that the manna has been firmly decided by God Almighty, and God Almighty will do it soon. Now let Pharaoh look for a discerning and wise man and put him in charge of the land of Egypt. Let Pharaoh appoint commissioners over the land and take a fifth of the harvest of Egypt during the seven years of abundance. They should collect all the food of these good years that are coming and store up the grain under the authority of Pharaoh to be kept in the cities for food. 
This food should be held in reserve for the country to be used during the seven years of famine that come upon Egypt, so that the country may not be ruined by the famine. The plan seemed good to Pharaoh and all his officials. So Pharaoh asked them, can we find anyone like this man, one in whom this is the Spirit of God? Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, since God Almighty has made this known to you, there is no one so discerning and wise as you. You should be in charge of my palace and all my people are to submit to your orders. Only with respect to the throne will I be greater than you. So Pharaoh said to Joseph, I hereby put you in charge of the whole land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh took his signet ring from his finger and put it on Joseph's finger. He dressed him in robes of fine linen and put a gold chain around his neck. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, I am Pharaoh, but without your word, no one will lift a hand or foot in all Egypt. Pharaoh gave Joseph the name Zephanath-Paniah, which means God speaks and lives. Joseph was 30 years old when he entered the service of Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. During the seven years of abundance, the land produced plentifully. Joseph collected all the food producing those seven years of abundance in Egypt and stored it in the cities. In each city, he put the food grown in the fields surrounding it. Joseph stored up huge quantities of grain like the sands on the sea. There was so much that he stopped keeping records because it was beyond measure. Before the years of famine came, two sons were born to Joseph. Joseph named his firstborn Manasseh and said, It's because God has made me forget all my suffering and all my father's household. The second son he named Ephraim and said, It's because God has made me fruitful in the land of my suffering. The seven years of abundance in Egypt came to an end and the seven years of famine began, just as Joseph has said. There was famine in all the other lands, but the whole land of Egypt. But in the whole land of Egypt there was food. And all the world came to Egypt to buy grain from Joseph because the famine was severe everywhere. Lord, we just pray as we look at this story and see how it uh, relates to us. I pray, Lord Jesus, that you would uh, press home the truths contained in this piece of history and make it relevant to us in Jesus' name. Amen. So I don't know what to do with this really, but I'm going to go from prison to palace, three stories. So we're going to look at Joseph's story very quickly. And then we're going to look at Jesus' story, which is kind of similar. And then we're going to look at your story, if you're a Christian, which is hopefully similar as well. There will be some differences. I'm not trying to force the passage, but that's where we're going to go. So let's look at Joseph. I couldn't find a picture of Joseph, so that is, I'm afraid, um, Tutankhamun. Uh, but anyway, the first thing we, we, we do to bring you up to speed, if you haven't been on the series, uh, Joseph is beloved by his father, Isaac. Uh, he's clothed by his father's love. It, you know the you know the story, the multicolored uh, dream coat or the the many colored coat. He's clothed by his father's love. He has these dreams that his father's family are going to bow down to him. Dreamed he has a dream that uh, that he's destined to rule not over his over his family. We find out that his brothers hate him because of his dreams, and he's sold for twenty pieces of sol- silver by his brothers. He's sold into slavery. By his brothers. He becomes the servant of this guy, Potiphar. He's a servant. Lives like a servant. And we said uh, a couple of weeks back that God blesses him uh, and therefore Potiphar's house is, uh, is blessed. But what happens is Potiphar's wife takes a fancy to him and she says, come to bed with me. In fact, she says, sex now here, uh, as, as you would to your servant. But he's a, Joseph's actually a good lad and says, no, I won't, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to sin against my master or against God. And what happens is because of that, Potiphar's wife is furious and he's falsely accused of uh, rape and thrown into prison. What should have happened is he should have suffered the death penalty, but he's instead imprisoned in a dark dungeon. 
And that's where we picked up the reading that Joseph is in this dark dun- dungeon. It's almost he could have been abandoned uh, uh, for the rest of his life. There was no kind of sense of parole or sense of you'd have a life sentence. You're just stuck in there, and if they forgot you, they forgot you. And we ended up the, the chapter a couple of weeks ago when I was speaking. It says, and, uh, and the cupbearer, who we find comes back into this story, forgot Joseph. He's just abandoned. And we talked about how Joseph's life seems to be going all bad. He do, seems to have at first been an arrogant boy, bring stuff upon himself, but eventually, you know, st- bad stuff happens and to good people. Um, it's great to hear uh, Jim pray this morning because Jim had a tragedy this week and, you know, and, and stuff happens in life. Uh, and even you think, well, how does this happen? And we, we've looked at that. We've looked at why does this happen? But actually, we've said bigger than all that, God has got a big plan. And what's going to happen is in one day, this plan's going to suddenly burst into life. In one moment, this plan's going to be left, burst into life. I, I, I don't know, um, that's, uh, if you don't know the song by Dino uh, Washington, that, uh, 24 hours. What a difference a day makes. That's right, 24 little hours. But you know, we've got, here we get the day, at the start of the day, uh, Joseph is in prison and apparently forgotten. At the end of the day, is the ruler of Egypt. What a difference a day makes. And it's really interesting that actually sometimes in your life you go through uh, moments and moments and you just do the right thing. But actually sometimes there's a day that makes all the difference. Um, there's a day uh, when you maybe you, you choose to get married. Or there's a day when you choose which career you've got or which university. Ultimately, I believe the day that you choose to follow Jesus or you follow Jesus, that is the day that makes all the difference. And that's what we're celebrating today. Some people who are getting baptized have chosen, have decided to follow Jesus or become Christians some years ago, some more recently. But that, that day, that one day that changes everything, that takes you from the dungeon, the deep, dark dungeon, as it says in, in Genesis, into the palace. Um, and so let's just follow Joseph through the story. So he's summoned from the dungeon. There's Pharaoh has a dream. You know the se- you know the seven fat cows coming out of the Nile. Uh huh. Bob Shuari Wari. You don't. And nobody has ever. Come on, you all, don't be so stuffy. Yeah. And so so he's summoned for, uh, and he has this dream and he says, I don't know what the dream is. Pharaoh doesn't. He asks everybody what the dream is, uh, and then nobody's got an answer. I often reflect about this. I think sometimes. Uh, that in our society, in, uh, if something happens, we're thrashing around for answers. We're thrashing around. What, who's, what's the answer? You know, the media have never got answers. All they've got is criticism. All they want to do is pull people down. Sorry if you work in the media. But, you know, but, but that's what it is. The media have got no answers. Our society is full of critics, so-called wise men, no answers. Same in Pharaoh's palace. He has a dream. He doesn't know what to do. Calls the cabinet. Calls the kind of number 10 down his street. Calls. He doesn't. Nobody knows what to do. Nobody knows the answer to this dream. But actually, they look in a surprising place. Because I think in our society, nobody's going to call a Hebrew. Nobody's going to call a follower of Jesus and say, well, tell me what you think. But that's what happens here. We get Joseph. They, a guy says, oh, I remember... There's a guy, I had a dream, and my mate had a dream, and he told me the dreams. I remember, I don't even remember his name, he's called a Hebrew, let's dig him out. Joseph is immediately, the, uh, so it's Pharaoh's voice as it goes from the palace, send for the guy. 
They search around in the prison, I don't know, find him, pull him out. He's stinking, he's dirty, he, he, needs, a, he needs a wash. It says he had a wash and a shave. Which is interesting, because actually, um, that, you know, that's quite an interesting cultural thing, because the, the Egyptians were washed and shaved. Uh, the Jews grew big beards, but the Egyptians were washed and shaved. So he's washed and shaved and cleaned. It's a little bit like what's going to happen out there. We're not going to shave people's beards if they've got beards. Uh, 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 David, we're not, you're okay on that one. But, <laughs> but you know, there's a sense where suddenly he's summoned from the palace and he's washed and clean, made fit for the king's presence. We'll come back to that later. Then what happens is Pharaoh says to him, "You're the one who can. You're the one who can uh, interpret dreams." And he's really incredible. The old Joseph would have said, "Yeah, I'm the man. I can interpret dreams." But Joseph has has learned that it's not about him. He's learned that there's no nothing in him that can get it done. There's nothing in him to get it life. And I know that what happens in as you get older, you realise less and less about your ability to make things happen. When you're young, you think, "Yeah, I can change the world." But when life hits you and stuff happens, you realise. I can't do it. I can't do it. And Joseph does that. He says, it's not me, it's God. Interesting that the phrase he uses for God is not the God Ra or the God Akhenaten or whatever. He's not choosing the name of an Egyptian God. He uses a name, Elohim, which means God Almighty. I don't know, Pharaoh must have been scratching his head. Later on in Exodus, another Pharaoh comes and says, I don't know this God Almighty. This Pharaoh's never heard of God Almighty, but this is this. Joseph is the only believer in God in the whole of Egypt. Sometimes you feel like, oh, there's not many Christians are in my workplace. Or there's not many Christians in my life and around me. I'm the only one, and we keep our mouth shut. Joseph's in front of the, uh, the, the, the most powerful man in the world, and he says, Elohim, tell God Almighty, he's the one, not me. He brings wisdom to Pharaoh that the wise men cannot bring. I talked about that. Pharaoh declares afterwards, after he's told him the dreams and tells him what to do, I love what it says, it's because anyone, can we find anyone like this man in whom the Spirit of God is? That should make you some, think of someone else, shouldn't it? One man in, who's like in a category zone, the Spirit of God's in him. We'll come back to that guy in a minute. What happens is then... Uh, they, they, they look around. It's interesting. Pharaoh says to the officials, can, can you think of any, any great men apart from this man? He's basically saying, you know, looking around the cabinet and saying, look, we've just brought the janitor in. You know, we've just brought the, the guy who cleans, empties the bins. He's just told me the dream. We're going to make him chancellor of the exchequer. How do you feel about that, Mr. Hammond or whatever, you know? You know, and, and of course with Pharaoh, they all go, mm-hmm, yeah, because they know how it works if you disagree. But, you know, basically that's what's happened. This guy from prison is suddenly brought into uh, uh, the presence uh, of God. Uh, so Pharaoh, and Pharaoh says, I'm going to make you in charge of everything. Joseph gives him his ring. He gives him this ring and a robe of authority and says, you're going to rule Egypt. He gives him a name. It's interesting, the name he gives him, Zephanath Panea. Uh, I hope I pronounced that right. If anybody speaks Egyptian hieroglyphics, you can correct me. Uh, Zephanath Panea. Interestingly, it means God speaks and lives. Amazing. This guy is before Pharaoh says, only God can interpret your dreams. Let me tell you the gospel. Let me tell you the good news of Jesus. And at the end of the conversation, the, the most powerful man in, in the world says, oh, God speaks and lives. What a great name. That's your name if you're a Christian. 
God speaks and lives your life when you live it out there. Everybody's saying, all right, because of you, I understand that God speaks and lives. He has a son. He gets married. He has a son. Calls, he has two sons. We'll just go to the second son. He calls him Ephraim. The son's name means God has made me fruitful in the land of my suffering. Here's a man. We'll come to another man in a minute like this. Here's a man whose suffering has made him fruitful. Here's a man whose captivity in a dungeon, in a dark dungeon, has made him fruitful. What happens is then that Joseph becomes literally the saviour of the world. Here's a, he, 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 he stores up the grain, a 20% tax. Imagine that that probably went difficult. You know, the guys, nobody likes taxes, particularly at 20%. Uh, and they, you know, were taking 20% of the grain. They might have said, look, here's a guy who raped this, you know, he raped his, his, his master's wife, and now he's raping the economy. And, you know, he's saying, I'm storing up for a famine. You know, there's no evidence of a famine. He has to stand strong. If you heard the voice of God, you have to stand strong. It's not inevitable. It's not inevitable just because he's interpreted the dream that there's a famine coming. He gets the first bit right. He does the taxes. But he would have had to stand against a lot of pressure and a lot of opposition. And we know that about, we know that about the, the true saviour of the world, that he had to face lots of opposition. But what he does, it's at the end of the chapter, it says, and all the world came to Egypt for bread. All the world came to Egypt for life. Great story, isn't it? Rags to riches, boldness. Six times he mentions God Almighty. Six times he's bold in front of Pharaoh and says, God Almighty. You read it for yourself. God Almighty, God Almighty, God Almighty is my man. He's the only one who worships God Almighty. But yet God makes him the ruler of Egypt. And I was thinking how to, how to relate this passage and I thought, well actually, Joseph's story points to Jesus' story. I, I, I really don't think I'm forcing this. When I'm thinking, how can I? How does this roll? I could make it a nice little morality pr- play about you know be good and God will make your life right. But actually, I think it po- points to Jesus's big story. We, okay, so let's get the same things then. Jesus's beloved son of his father in heaven. Here was Joseph, the beloved son of his father. Here's Jesus, the beloved son of God the Father in heaven, clothed in his father's love. Just as Joseph was clothed in a, a, a cloak, so Jesus is clothed in his father's love. Jesus becomes human, leaving God, his father's house. So, so Jesus makes a trajectory, as it were, from palace to kind of manger before he makes the move back. Jesus leaves his father's house. He leaves um, the love of his father, uh, as it were, and takes on flesh, destined to be the saviour of the world. He comes and, and he's the saviour of the world. Even as he's in the manger, the angels are saying that he's calling him Jesus because he's going to be the saviour of the world. It's actually, you know, we find that Jesus at 11 years old, almost like Joseph at 17, he's, he's saying to his mother, I'm in my father's house. He understands kind of something about him. And, it, you know, his mum and dad didn't tell him off, what do you mean you're in God's house? Who do you think you are? They kind of thought, hmm, that's interesting. And it's just like Joseph that this... Man, Jesus has got a destiny. What happens is, though, he's, he's rejected by his brothers. We're his brothers. It's not some guys in Palestine that are his brothers who've said we reject him. Society's rejected him. We have rejected Jesus. 
Our society's rejected Jesus. We never go to Jesus for advice. We never say, oh, let's find out what the Bible says on this issue. We've rejected Jesus just as much as those people have rejected him. Joseph was sold for 20 pieces of silver. Jesus is sold for 30 pieces of silver. Joseph had lived as a faithful servant. What does Jesus do? He says, I'm a servant. Washes his disciples' feet. Serving others. He said, I haven't come to be served, but to serve. Here's one like Joseph, is, who, who does nothing wrong. Everybody, when he calms the, the storms, everybody says, what kind of category of man is this? A bit like Pharaoh says, who, who is there anyone like this? God blesses everything he does. Yes, when he calms the storm, everyone says, how can we find anyone man like this? And actually, we, we, the, he's, a, he's a man full of God's Spirit. He's a man who's, just like Joseph, full of God's Spirit. There's something about God's presence with Jesus, his Father's presence, his divinity that picks him out. Let's pick a few more and then. Jesus is falsely accused. So just as Joseph was falsely accused of, of right, Jesus is accused of of blasphemy, he's accused of, of, of being a, a criminal, he's counted with the criminals, he's thrown in, in prison with the criminals, he's, he's accused of being a criminal. And jo- where Joseph somehow doesn't get, uh, get the death pen- penalty, Jesus does. Jesus is crucified, Jesus is taken outside. Pilate says, I find no fault in him, and the, 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 the crowd says, take him away, crucify him. As it were, is imprisoned in death's dark dungeon, just like Joseph was imprisoned in the dungeon. But this time, this is the dungeon that no one's escaped from ever. Jesus is crucified and dies and goes into death's dark dungeon. But what happens is, we, you probably think, I know this story, there's no tension here. Just bear with me, okay? God the Father did not abandon Jesus to death. Just as Pharaoh said to Joseph, come out of the, uh, the dungeon. God the sp- Father spoke into that tomb 2,000 years ago and said, come out. Come out. Jesus rises from the dead. And what happened to Joseph is Joseph is suddenly put on at the second in command in the whole of Egypt. It actually says in the Bible that Jesus is exalted to the highest place and seats, seated at the Father's right hand. He's not just the ruler of Egypt, he's the ruler of the world. He sits at the Father's right hand. A couple more that link. Jesus even says, "Is I am the bread of life. He's the bread of life. He said, anyone who eats on me will never be hungry again. Here's Joseph who's feeding a, a, a nations around that are physically starving. Actually, the nations around us are spiritually starving. And Jesus is the bread of life. Interesting. He calls his son Ephraim. Ephraim means God has made me fruitful in the land of my suffering. I think it's a prophetic statement that God made Jesus fruitful. Saving his brothers through the cross of his suffering. It's what we're celebrating today. But what we're celebrating is that, that actually Jesus' story is our story. Not Joseph's story is Jesus' story, but Jesus' story is our story. Jesus still speaks and still lives. Jesus, Joseph's story is Jesus' story is our story. I'll be really quick with this. We, like Joseph, are born to live 
under the love of God the Father. If you don't know that, if you feel no one cares about me, if you feel, what about my life? My life is difficult and bad. You are to know that you're born under the love of God. God loves you. He doesn't ultimately decide whether he loves you or doesn't love you based on what you've done. He loves you, he loves you. It's funny, I was walking my dog yesterday. Uh, it's a bit of a bad illustration, but bear with me. And I, and I said to my uh, father-in-law, I said, I love this dog. I said, how random is that, that I could love a dog? And he said, how random it is that God should love you. I thought, that is my father-in-law for you. But it is, we love dogs, and they're messed up and stupid and rolling poo and eat vomit and whatever. Sorry, it's nearly lunchtime. And we love them. God loves us. That is the fundamental thing. Just like Joseph, just like Jesus, God loves us. But we, like Joseph's brothers, have rejected Jesus, our brother. I said that and I'm mixing up my points. We've rejected Jesus. Our society has rejected Jesus. Our natural reaction is to reject Jesus. We've said, I don't want anything to do with him. I'm done with him. And that might be your situation here. You might have been brought along by a friend and you might have thought, actually, I don't want anything to do with Jesus. In fact, I wish this guy would shut up because I don't want anything to do with Jesus. We all, whether consciously or not, have rejected Jesus. The Bible calls that sin. But what happens is, unlike Jesus, we're rightly accused and deserving death. You might think this is a little harsh, but actually that's the truth. For what you've done in thought and word and deed, you deserve to be imprisoned. More than that, you deserve to die. We're imprisoned in a dark dungeon, unable to save ourselves from our brokenness and sin. This is where, this is human, the human condition. This is where we are. This is what it's like. We just, it's not a self-help program. It's not try harder, do better. The bottom line reality is that humanity is unable to free itself. I worry about the world sometimes. Maybe as I'm getting older, I worry about the world and think, what's wrong with the world? Why is it such a mess? Everything seems wrong. It seems to be no answers. There's no light. Where are the heroes? Where's the breakthrough? Where's, where's the truth? And you might find that on a, on, a, on a personal scale. You might look at your life and think, what is my life like? The stuff that's happened to me, the difficulties, the things I've done, the things that have been done to me. We're in this, uh, this situation, this dark dungeon of sin. We might think that we... Um, we might think that we have all the answers and we have life, but actually we're slowly imprisoned, forgotten, no hope. But actually we find that Jesus has not only entered the dark dungeon, but he's paid the death that we deserve. And what we celebrate when people are baptized is we celebrate that actually Jesus has entered into the to the dark dungeon, not just of our sin, but of the ultimate reality of our death. Jesus on the cross died the death, enters the, as well, the dark dungeon of death on our behalf. He goes there. He suffers there. He takes in himself all the brokenness and sin of the world, all the, the stuff that you think, where's that going to go? How are we going to solve that? He draws that into himself and dies on the cross. When we're baptized, what ha- what's happening is, is we're relating to that death. This, we've been buried and we've been raised 
with him. It's saying Jesus' story is our story. A couple more. We, like Joseph, are called then by the King of Heaven. Raised from life. Raised to new life from sin's enslaving dungeon. We're washed and cleaned by Jesus. Clothed in Jesus' goodness. So we can enter the presence of God. That's what happened to Joseph. They cleaned him up and said, you're fit for Pharaoh. What happens to us is that we're, when we're baptized, it's a symbol that we're washed and clean. And that we're fit for God's presence. Because of what Jesus has done, we're fit for God's presence. Two, couple more. You've got to understand that it's not you. It's not us. But God. That's what Joseph said. And that's true for you. You cannot make yourself a better person. You can't think, I'll try harder, I'll do better, I'll be a good person. I'll do it. I'll work it up. This isn't, as I said, self-help. You've got to come to a point, if you're going to become a Christian, a follower of Jesus, you've got to say, I cannot do it. I can't do it anymore. It's not me. I can't do it. But God. God can. I can't live the life I need to live. I can't be different. But God. But God can. God is the one that saves us. Interestingly, Joseph is called in whom, one in whom the Spirit dwells. When you become a Christian, it's not like you try harder to, to live a good life. God puts his very life inside you. The sense that, that, that Pharaoh saw about Joseph, the sense that people saw about Jesus, that's true for you. We're invited into God's family. God puts a ring of adoption on our finger and closes with power. That's what I'm to Joseph. Pharaoh took his ring and said, I'm going to put a ring on your finger. That would be the ring that said, you're you know, part of my family. He clothed him with righteousness. You get that story in the Bible, the prodigal son, a son who went far away from God, and when he comes back, God puts a ring on his finger and puts a robe on him and says, you're part of the family now. Welcomed back. That's what happened to Joseph. That's what God does to us. What happened to Joseph is taken and seated. He's seated with Pharaoh. Jesus died, rose again, exalted, seated with God on high. For us, in the dungeon of sin and death, we trust in Jesus. He calls us, cleans us, forgives us, adopts us, and it says in the Bible, and we're seated with him in heavenly places. Jesus, lastly, gives us himself the bread of life as good news for a starving world. Let's have the band back and let me pray. Jesus, we thank you for this story, this history of, Jesus, uh, of Joseph, how you lifted him from no hope, from death as it were. You called him and cleaned him and washed him, seated him on high, made him rule and reign, put your spirit in him, put your n- a new name on him. Lord, we thank you that that points to the great story of Jesus. Lord, thank you, Jesus, that you have died on the cross, that you've plunged down into death. I thank you that you, you have, you're raised from the dead. I thank you that you're seated on high. I think you're the one who's, who's uh, there's no other category, the one who's in the spirit dwells. Lord, we thank you that you're the bread of life, the one who we feed on, and can live forever. Lord, I thank you that you're the bread for the world. Lord, and I just pray, just if, if this is not your story, just ask you, is this to be your story? To hear the voice of God, 
to hear the call of the king saying, come, come out. This is the, what a difference a day makes. 24 hours. This is the day for some to remember when that first call came. For some of you, it might be the first time. But God, like Pharaoh, the true, better Pharaoh, is calling you out of the dungeon, saying, come. He's going to wash you and clean you, bring you into his presence. He's going to say, come. Sit with me. Come join my family. Here's the ring of sonship. Everything of mine is yours. Here's the robes of my goodness, my love, clothing you afresh. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you have been fruitful in the land of your suffering. Thank you that your cross has made a way for us to come to the Father's presence. Sins forgiven. Chosen and adopted in your family. For more information, visit our website at godfirst.org.uk.